Welcome to Word of Grace, the local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Okay, in Matthew 11, Matthew 11, and I touched on this uh, some time ago, shared on it, but I didn't, uh, it didn't seem like I gave God's full thought on it, but I think it's very appropriate for all of us right now. So, in Matthew 11, 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hid these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. In other words, he, he's revealed these things to the little ones. He has so many things to reveal to the little ones, to the babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. And what he's saying here is this. He has, he's, he has for a good part, if not almost all the part of his public ministry. And remember that when, when Christ, for his first 30 years, he lived in obscurity. Okay, 30 years. He's God. He's very God. And he's dwelling in perfect humanity he didn't make a thing about himself he dwelt in absolute obscurity he worked in a carpenter shop with his father and then he went into his public ministry and his public ministry was for three and a half years and then he was cut off in his prime but where he says says here even so father for so it seemed good in your sight was the fact that he was so rejected by his people and so hated and so rejected but he still could say even so father even so and a lot of times things happen in our life and they don't seem to be good they don't seem to be that way they don't seem to be right uh, people may misunderstand us uh, they may hurt us and Christ knows what that's like. We shared a little bit last night about that again, about how, how we, we talked about tears somewhat. We mentioned the tears at Sharon's memorial service, and I had a chance to speak there, about how tears are in a language, such an expressive language that goes beyond anything that we could put in language. And yet in each of those tears, there's tears, there's a different chemical makeup in each tear, not every tear is the same. There's a, a chemical makeup for uh, happy tears, sad tears, uh, could be lonely, could be uh, misunderstood, but they're all uh, very, very expressive of a language. And because Jesus Christ took on humanity uh, and wept all of those particular tears and identification with us, he knows how to identify with us. And like him, we can say, even so, Father. Because all of those things that happened to him, the rejection, the pain, the being misunderstood, uh, being hurt, he could say, it seemed good in your sight. And the word good here means it's God's divine good. And God's divine good always not just sometimes but it always works together for good his divine good 
And his divine good is always working together for us. Everything. He's working it all together for the good. The reason why it works together for the good is because everything that works together for the good that comes from the Father, before it comes to us, passes through His Son. In other words, His Son has been there before you and I were. He's felt the pain. He's felt the rejection. He's felt the being misunderstood. He's wept those tears. He bottles in Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, He bottles all of our tears. That means not one of them can escape His utter oneness and feeling with us in the depths of everything that we go through. We talked about the rainbow a little bit again last night, and and a week or two ago we were talking about the rainbow and what the rainbow meant and how that the clouds... Would, that came as a result of judgment and brought pain and sorrow and trials in Genesis 9, 13 and 14, where the rainbow would be a symbol and a token of the very expression of the nature and character and essence of Christ. It would show the beauty of his colors, the beauty of his life, and how, how he entered into all of our sorrows. That's what the clouds can speak of sorrows. It can speak of things we don't understand. It can speak of trials. It can speak of the pain. It can speak of being misunderstood. And it's a cloud. And we don't understand sometimes why people, they just don't seem to understand us. Or they just don't seem to be able to break through to us or vice versa. But those clouds are there and there's a promise that God has given the promise is, is that in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, all the promises, and all the promises are designed to meet all of those tears, the ex- exact expression of them. All the promises are yes and forever settled in Christ Jesus. That's what it says. A yea and amen is yes and settled forever. And 2 Corinthians 1.20. And so that that rainbow, Christ, which represents the light of those, the, the clouds, and the light would diffuse the colors of that rainbow. And you wouldn't have it without those clouds or the storm. But yet it diffuses it. And we don't like many times some of these trials. We don't like... To, we, we don't understand at times some of the pain, the sorrow, the misunderstanding. But God means it for good. In Genesis 50, verse 20, he means it for our good. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 15, all things are for our sake. Because all things that we ever felt or ever had to go through went through Christ first. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, all things are of God. They're of God only in terms of being in and through Christ for us. And then Romans 8, 28, all things, all things, we can rest in that. We can rest it. All things work together for the good. For the good. See what Jesus said here? He said, even so, Father. I mean, he was rejected. He was hated. 
in John 15, 18. He said, if they hated me first, they're going to hate you. He said that they hated me in John 15, verse 25, fulfilling the very prophecy of Psalm 35, verse 19, and in Psalm 69, verse 4. They hated him without a cause, or they didn't understand him. Uh, and then not understanding him, they rejected him, or even really in hatred, understand, but not wanting him and rejecting him. He said, even so, for, for it seemed good in your sight. Whatever he allows in our life, in the Father's sight. And who is the Father's sight towards us? It's Jesus Christ. That's why it's good. That's why it works together for good. It's the only reason it works together for good. In the midst of our struggles, midst of our pain, in the midst of our loneliness, in the midst of our being misunderstood, maybe not being able to reveal our heart the way we would desire the other person to see it. Listen, in God's sight through Christ, it all works for his divine good. Because the Father worked everything for himself to be good through his Son. And he only operates through his Son towards us. That's why it's so good. And the reason he can do that is, is because we're in his Son. He, trans he took us out of the kingdom of darkness and transliterated us, put us into the kingdom, it says in Colossians 1 verse 13, into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So that means that anything that happens to us, that comes towards us, it has to pass through his love. Even though it may not be good in itself, it may not be good. But in his love, in the midst of his love, in the midst of those clouds, it can be a manifestation, and it is. When we rest in him, it's a manifestation of the nature and character of him. And Jesus knew this. He said in verse 27, all things are delivered unto me of my Father. Now, the only way that that could truly happen is he would have to go to the cross. That's what he would do. But he could say, all things are delivered unto me. And no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father except the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The greatest revelation of the love of the Father and the love of Jesus Christ was demonstrated on Calvary. And he knew it was all going to work together for the good. He knew it. He could rest in it. He didn't look at the things as they were. Listen, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 says this. Our light affliction. It's a light affliction. Which, which is but for a moment. And you think about it. The things that we have to go through that are for our sake, that are of God, and that are working together for the good are for but a moment. They're just for a moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And how do, what did we compare the, the moment to? Eternity. For a moment, you pass through these things. Just like Jesus. 33 and a half years. 33 and a half years. Cut off in his prime. 
but for a moment. Works for us, it says. Think about it. Think about it. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Listen to, to what it says. Works for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That's why Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good. To them that are the loved of God, that are called according to his purpose. They're called according to his purpose. That's why in Christ we have the provision to continually look away from ourselves and look unto Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 2. So he said in verse 28, Come unto me. Come unto me. Again, he doesn't want us to hesitate. He doesn't want us to doubt. He does not want to try and figure things out in our own thoughts. It's not going to happen. We have to come unto him. Come unto him. He doesn't want us to be busy trying to figure why this and why that or why not this and why not. But to come unto him, all ye that labor. What does it mean to labor? It means, and you're heavy laden. It means that there's pain. There could be some pain involved. There could be some suffering and its effects. What are we to do with it when we experience pain? Heart. When we experience suffering and all the effects that come with it. Instantly, what should we do? Come unto him. Not only is he the provision to bring the healing in Psalm 107, verse 20, he, God the Father, sent his word, God the Son, to heal them and to deliver them from all their destructions. And and we're going to see what it means to be delivered. We're going to see what it means to be delivered. Because he said, come unto me, all of you that labor and are heavy laden. Okay, again, we've said before, labor can mean that you and I have sinned. We failed. What are we to do? We're to come to him. Heavy laden means people have hurt you. Someone's hurt you. People have hurt you. Maybe not knowingly, maybe ignorantly, maybe just in their weakness and in their own struggles. Could be that that's all it is. It might not even be the other person. The other person may not even have, might, but the other person may not even have a single thing to do with it. But yet it might come towards the other person. What should the person do? Try and figure it out? Try and do something about it? Or come unto him? There's pain. There's labor. Maybe you've sinned or someone sinned against you. And you're heavy laden and people have hurt you. What do you do? You come unto him immediately. And what? All ye that labor and heavy laden. And what will I? I will give you rest. Who's going to give us rest? Who's the only one that can give us rest? Who's the only one? He does not want to take us. He doesn't want us to take upon our struggles. Boy, I wish I could. And it's true for all of us. He does not want to take for us to take upon us our struggles. And he does not want us to take upon the struggles of other people on ourselves. Why? Take my yoke upon you. And when you labor or you've sinned and you failed or you're heavy laden and people have hurt you, then come. 
Yoke up with me and I'll give you rest. That's a promise. Don't hesitate. I'll give you rest. What? Upon you and then what? You will learn of me. Oh my God. Listen. God forbid in Romans 6 verse 1 and Romans 6 verse 15 God forbid that I should sin that grace may abound. I mean anyone that desires a true and right and intimate relationship with Christ are not going to sin on purpose. They're not going to. And even if they do, do we think that grace, I can use grace to continue in it? Of course not. God forbid that I should sin. God forbid that I should sin and fail so that I could use grace. God forbid that I should ever hurt anybody and think it's okay and God will give me the grace to do that. No, of course not. And thank God, thank God this morning we, can, we don't have to know one another after the flesh. And that starts with ourselves. It does. It does. You know, you ever hear the saying, it takes one to know one? Mm-hmm. You can't see someone in the flesh unless you are. That's right. That's right. It's like the kid that was running around with the pink glasses on. Swore everything was pink. He swore it. It's pink. That's the way I see it. Okay, take the glasses off. Oh, it's not. No, it's not. It isn't. It isn't the way that it is. It's not. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give. That's what God is. He's a giver. He gives us everything that we need, but do we come to him? Do we trust him? Do we rest in him? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Listen, you see the progression of it? He says, come. When you come to me, you rest. Come to me. The rest that you desire, the rest that you need, the rest from struggling, the rest with trying to deal with hurts, the rest with trying to deal with sins of yours and sins of others that have affected you. (laughs) Listen. Come. Come. Because I will show you, Christ will show us that he's dealt with them. He's dealt with them. And he's the provision for them. He's he's dealt with them and he's the provision for the effects at times that linger. They can be dealt with instantly. It doesn't have to take time. It doesn't have to. Sometimes it does, yes. Sure it does. But it does not have to. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Look what it says. Come, rest, and take. There's no rest if we don't come. And there's no taking from him what he desires to give us outside of rest. Rest. And then what? And then you will learn of me. Remember what Paul said? I have learned in Philippians 4.11. Do you think he was ever mistreated? Read the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. 
He had to learn as an apostle, as a man that was given the very word that we read in the, in the Pauline epistles. He had to learn, he had to learn to be content in whatsoever state he was in. In other words, his present condition, God was teaching him in his present condition that if you come to Christ and don't hesitate, and when you come, he will give you rest. And in rest, you can take his yoke. And when you take his yoke, when you're yoked up with him, not your struggles, not we're trying to deal with your pain, not we're trying to figure things out, not we're trying to think what you can do or what you maybe didn't do, but when you yoke up with him, when you're next to him, guess what? You learn of him, but you don't until you come. And you can't learn until you take a yoke. You yoke up with him. And then when you yoke up, you have rest. And then in rest, you learn because that's the only place where you and I can receive. Receive. That's why Psalm 46, and read that Psalm, but Psalm 46 Verse 10 says, be still. Be still. Can we be still apart from him? How many have tried it? Be still and then know that I'm God. Be still. Come. I'll give you rest. You take my yoke and you will learn that in every condition and place that you're in, you can what? Learn of me. Oh, how many times have we said, I want to be like you, Lord. I want to be like you. You do? Yes, I want to be like you. Okay. Well, God made the captain, the leader, the author of our salvation, perfect, complete through what? Suffering in Hebrews 2.10. He learned in his humanity, perfect humanity, obedience, trusting the Father in everything, with sin apart, and never being tempted to sin. <laughs> but he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And now in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, if you suffer with me, you will what? You reign with me. What does that mean? Is he, we, many times we think of that in the future with all the rewards. And that's true. But how about now, in our present condition, to be able to reign with him? How about that? How about to reign? What does it mean to be reign? It means to be above everything. How do I know myself? Do I know myself after someone the way that they treat me? Do I know myself based upon my failures? Do I know myself based upon how someone fails me? Or do I know in Song of Solomon 4 verse 7, you are all fair, my love. Oh God. You want to know how fair you are? Yes. Okay, then in your weakest moments and in your best moments, receive my love for you. You are all fair. You're my love. There is no spot in you. What is that saying? Christ is the issue. He's the issue. He's the issue. Christ is the 
issue. And someone would say, maybe, what about my feelings? Oh, Romans 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. What about my feelings? Do you think, no. Well, God will use those feelings to bring us to himself through Christ. That's what he'll do. He's not speed bumping them. He's not speed bumping our feelings. For we have a high priest in Hebrews 4, verse 15. It doesn't say it like it says it in the King James. We have, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmity. Excuse me, really what it's saying there is, listen, don't think that you don't have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities because he can and he is. But you have to come to him. Come to him immediately. Come to him. Run to him. You know, like the little kid that's caught in the storm after playing outside, what do they do? They run home. Run to him. Run to him. Come to him. Run to him. Are you, are you laboring under a load? Listen, cast all your care upon him. Don't dwell in it. None of us. None of us. Listen. Cast all your care upon him. Cast everything. And in, in the original languages, it's saying it's once and for all. Think of every single thing that could cause you anxiety. Take it all and cast it on him. Why? Well, because he cares for you. He cares for you to come. And I, he cares for us to come. He cares to give us the rest that his care gives us. Caring means he has rest for us. He's got rest for us. What are, you re- what are we struggling under? A load Should we give it to him in trust? Should we? Should we trust in the Lord with all our heart? And when we do, we won't lean to our own understanding. That means we won't lean to us trying to do something about it. That's the truth of the matter. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Result, and you will not lean to your own understanding. Where are the struggles? They're all there. They're all there. Does Jesus know them? Did he feel them? Yeah, he felt them, and he felt them perfectly without being sinned. Tempted to sin or to sin. Felt every one of them. That's what he learned. His learning obedience was seeing everything that would affect us, and it went into him so he could go deal with it as a high priest in our stead. And believe me, the sin that tempted others with a sin nature and and hurt them, they use that to hurt him and reject him. And you don't think there was suffering involved? You don't think he felt? He could feel the results and the effects of sins, what they did towards him, without ever being tempted. Because he could never be tempted. He never was. But they went into him. But it was to make him perfect, complete, as the captain, the leader, the author of our salvation. And that's why he could say it. That's why he could say, it's good. You know why? It's good. Because I know, I know, that I am the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. In Revelation 13, verse 8, I know that. I know the works were finished in Hebrews 4, verse 3. Do you think there is anything that could have ever tempted Jesus Christ? Oh, by the way, who created Lucifer before he became Satan? Ah, Jesus Christ did. So you think that he, that Lucifer could ever, Satan could ever tempt Christ? 
Oh, God. Think of the foolishness. Do you think he might be deceived and foolish? Oh, think of it. But yet he knew that he was going to the cross. And we've said before, even in John 17, verse 4, he said, I have, in his high priestly prayer, that's the Lord's Prayer, by the way, it's John 17. Again, we've said before, it's not Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. That's the disciples' prayer for the kingdom age. (laughs) Okay, this was his prayer, and it's the most intimate relationship heard between the Father and the Son in the whole Bible. It's that John 17. And you know what it was? That we would be one with him. Yeah, because he's been one with us in everything. He's gone through it. So he knew he was going to go to the cross. But he knew this. He knew that his death was was going to assure the victory of life for us. That's what he knew. He knew it. He knew that death could not destroy who he was, life. You think about it. If you look at John, the first chapter, in the first three verses, you will see, in him was was life. In him was life. You think death could kill him? This is talking about him in his pre-incarnate states. It's talking about him in his deity, the Son of God, who always is. (laughs) In humanity. In humanity. And could we think? No. Death could not destroy life. But what life, Christ, used death to destroy the works of Satan. Aha. 1 John 3, 8. Acts 10, verse 38. How Jesus of Nazareth, he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed. And he went about doing what? Good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. That's why we need to come to him. When we begin to be oppressed, what should we do? We should come to him. He hasn't changed. Matter of fact, he's risen above everything. And when he says come, he's taking us. Remember we said in Song of Solomon 4, verse 7, you're all fair, my love, there's no spot in you. And then in the 8th verse of Song of Solomon, chapter 4, it says, now come and look from the top. Get my viewpoint about your struggles. Go ahead, you get them. Because you can really see what they're working for, for you, as as far as an eternal weight of glory, when you rest. And when you rest, you can actually see things the way that I do. And you can rest in me about it all. Because the last time that I checked, has he taken care of our eternal future? How many believe that? That when we received him, he took care of our eternal future. When did that start? Does that include my time here? Do we have eternal life in us now? Are we products of time now or the products of eternal, the eternal life that Christ is? That's who we are. So death couldn't destroy it, but it did. He, he did use, Christ did, and we said the other night too, by the way, again, please remember that when Christ died on the cross, death did not take him. He gave himself over to death so that his life, resurrected life, would destroy everything. Life, I mean, destroy death, destroy the power of Satan, 
the world system, and he would it would end the law in Romans 10, verse 4. We got a lot going for us. Why do we wait? Why do we wait? Yes, we're growing. Yes, we are, all of us. Yeah? And he's teaching us. He's teaching us to know no man after the flesh. It starts with ourself, and then it goes into how we view others. Because old things are past tense, passed away, and all things are new. In him, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. So, life, Jesus Christ, took all of our failures. Think about that. He Did he take, how many believe that he took your personal failures, your personal pain, your personal struggles? How many actually believe that he took them on himself? How many actually believe that? That life, who Christ is, took all of our failures on him. And he used death to separate them from us forever. (laughs) Is that true? Boy, is it true. It's true. The only thing that his death ever did was glorify God destroy Satan's works and all of our failures and all of the other's failures, right? And it gave me life. We're to come unto him because he's our life. And that life that is ours, when we come to him, when we come to him, what, what do we get? And when, Especially when we labor and are heavy laden and what? He'll give us rest. Because he's our life. And he wants us to rest in the life that overcame all of that. And then when we understand that and grow in it, now we view from the top. We're not looking from the bottom up. (laughs) Sometimes that's what we do. We look from the bottom and it looks hopeless. We seem helpless and it seems like it's over. But the reality is what? We're to look from the top. Why do we look from the top? Because that's where Christ is seated. That's where he's seated. And that's where you and I are seated in him. And he has that life to constantly give us so we can take it upon us and learn of him. For he is meek and lowly. He's gentle and humble. And you will find rest unto your souls. In other words... I will give you rest in the midst of your self-consciousness. When you you and I choose, and where do we experience labor and being heavy laden? In our self-consciousness, things that are affecting us, things that affect us. Well, he says, if you take my yoke upon you, you will learn of me and you will see that I am gentle and humble and you, very personal, will find rest unto your souls. You will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, do you think and I think that anything is easy and light apart from him? Why are, why are things sometimes so hard for us? Right? Why are they so hard and seem so heavy? I'll tell you why. Because I'm learning this just like anybody else here, but probably more than anybody I have to learn it. I'm not yoked up to him. His thoughts are not my thoughts. 
I'm not experiencing the love that he is in me. And that's what it is. And that's what he has for us. Listen, he, boy, and we, we really need to trust him. Listen, he is in control. He does know what he's doing. He does know it. He know it. Listen, we'll wrap this up with this. The marks of our failures and all others are ended forever. And they ended in Jesus Christ. Okay? Those things that seem to affect us in time, okay, those very things, are they ended in Jesus Christ? I mean, really, are they? And should we love one another? And should we comfort one another? Yes. I remember writing to some loved ones in the area. I, did, I texted and wrote some loved ones in the area where we just were. A particular couple that struggled in their marriage. And honestly, the reality of the struggle is this. Is that we need to live, all of us, and this is what I wrote to him. All of us need to live continually in the confirmation of his love for us. And you and I can't unless we receive his forgiveness for us. Because his forgiveness for us is the confirmation of his love. When we fail, when we hurt, when others hurt us, or when we hurt others, or when we hurt ourselves, he wants us to come to receive, to receive his love. Because he, because in receiving forgiveness, he all, what he's doing is he's continually confirming his love for us. And we don't have to stay there. We do not have to stay there. We do not have to be held captive for, with what hurts us. And many times people, when they're held captive by those things, then they try to do something about it, and then they fail because we can't, because we haven't come to him who's dealt with it. And then they get in, like any of us can and have, get into all kinds of trouble. Every one of us. But listen, God even uses the trouble. Listen, he doesn't cause the trouble. But in Job 23, verse 16, Job said, The Almighty troubles me. Do you know what? Listen, the things that trouble us as a result of our own failures or pain or you name it, or what else someone did to us, whatever else someone did to us, that's what God uses for us. That's what's working together for the good. That is what's working together for the good. Really? Yes. All things work together for the good. Why? Because the Almighty, in Job 23, verse 16, He troubles me. In other words, He uses what someone may even mean evil, or maybe they're ignorant, and they're weak, and they're struggling, and they're failing, and and they project it towards someone. (laughs) The Almighty troubles me. Why? He's using that, what? To make my heart soft. To make my heart pliable. Remember in Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of your word gives light. Oh, boy. And oh, how he desires an entrance inside of us. And what is he? guess what he uses? Oh, boy. He uses when people hurt us, when we're troubled. When we're troubled by it. And then the Almighty troubles us. In other words, meaning he uses it. 
to make my heart soft because he wants the entrance. What? The entrance of your word. Who's the word? Christ, who he is and what he's done and what he's accomplished on my behalf, having gone through it all. He wants an entrance in there with us. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the who? Humble. We don't know how to define humility outside of his presence. We don't. None of us do. We don't know the areas where he needs to humble us. That's why we need to come. Because if there's an area that we do need or, and know about or we don't, we still need to come to him. Because he's the only one that's dealt with it and can give us the rest, the life that's dealt with it. He's the only one. And then I will close with this. Yes, we'll close with this. Listen. All of God's thoughts towards his little ones are in Jesus Christ. Oh boy. All of his thoughts toward his little ones, they're in Jesus Christ. They're his eternal thoughts. But they could now be manifested and expressed and even felt because Christ went to Calvary. Boy, that's love demonstrated. That's love manifested. He did it. There are thoughts that we can have, that we can experience right now in time. We don't have to wait to go to heaven to experience who he is and who we are in him. He wants us to experience it now. And we get to experience it in a greater manifestation for all eternity. Listen, listen. Boy, we, uh, do we all need to know this. Romans 8, verse 31, and Psalm 56, verse 9. If God be for me, if and he is, he gave us his son. The summation of all his thoughts towards us in Christ Jesus. And he gave us his son. He gave it to us. He gave him to us. So since God is for us, since he is, because that's how it really reads, who can be against us? Come on. Who or what can be against us? Read Romans 8, 31. Or read the 39 verses in Romans, the 8th chapter. Read them. We all, let's all read them. And then let God express through the Holy Spirit exactly what's ours every moment that we need. Every moment that we need. So here we have God for us. What does it matter that comes against us? If God is for us, in us, through Christ, right? Does it matter what's against us if God be for us? Does it? Will we make more a matter of what is, seems to be against us than the fact that God is for us and he's in us? He's gone before us. He goes with us. He goes in us. He's our Alpha and our Omega. He's our beginning and he's our eternal end, we said the other night in Revelations 1.8. So, Lord, we thank you uh, for this time. We thank you for your word. And again, we've just scratched the little surface of this. I'm probably going to have to share more of this tonight because we haven't even begun to uh, receive what you have for us about this, about even these little verses here. They're so incredible. So we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for what you've done, who you are, and what you've given, who we are in you, and what we have in you that you've given. And you're a giver. 
but it takes a receiver for a giver to be glorified. We need to be receivers constantly. We need to constantly function in grace towards ourselves and towards others at all times. Because all of us, yes, we are in this process of grace, but the truth of the matter is he's making us to become what he's already made us to be. <laughs> you think about it. He's making us to become. In our experience right now, what he's already made us to be in Christ. So that's why, since God is for us, who can be against us? And again, we said, whatever God starts, he finishes. We had our start in him, and we will have our eternal finish in him. And just like Sharon, instant, in a blink of an eye, in the blink of an eye, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Think about it. Here we are learning right now through a glass darkly, but she's face to face. Here we are learning in part, but she just graduated way ahead of us. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. She sure is. She is. She's graduated. She graduated, Lord. And we're in your school, and sometimes that school's of, it's a school of affliction. And you even use that in Psalm 119, verse 67, so that we don't go astray. There's areas where we don't even realize we're going astray. But you and your love trouble, use trouble and affliction to bring us straight back to you so we can rest again confidently in you. Cast not away, in Hebrews 10, verse 35, your confidence, for you have need of patience. Because it has great reward. That after having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You see, he's got something for you and I to receive. And that promise that we desire is in Christ. It's all in him. And that's who we're to come to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening in. We hope you were blessed and God was glorified. Feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings.